Welcome to The Living Word, the radio broadcast ministry of Living Word Church. Now, we are on the issue of contradictory doctrine because uh, in the past six or seven weeks, we have been examining what true Christianity is all about, what it's supposed to be, in light of what we see nowadays, um, the issues and problems that surround us today. And, of course, we can see very much Satan working to bring the name of our sovereign Lord Jesus Christ into disrepute. And this he does by all sorts of means. Now, I said before that having been unsuccessful in in quashing the purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, I mean, he tried for, for, uh, to, to destroy Jesus at birth, if you remember, very much, when, he was, uh, when Jesus our Lord was born through Herod. Satan tried to, to destroy our, our Lord as a baby, incarnate baby. He was unsuccessful in that. And then when our Lord started his ministry, Satan went to tempt him whilst um, our Lord was communing with the Father in 40 days of fasting. And, and um, Satan went and tried to, he tempted him three times, tried to test him to, to make him fall, see if he could arouse uh, seeing Jesus as a man, Satan tried to arouse that sense of personal ambition and um, self-exaltation in him by asking him to prove this and prove that if he was the son of God to do this, which unfortunately people like to do such things nowadays to prove their, uh, their, their affiliation to God, go into daring circumstances and such things. But let's leave that aside. So having uh, failed there, Satan continued in his assault against our Lord by um, opposing his ministry. The three years that our Lord was, um, was in his ministry here in the world was full of opposition. And all this opposition arose from Satan through the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the um, authorities that surrounded Christ our Lord in those days. And of course, um, inciting them well enough, they managed to, con- uh, to have our Lord arrested and um, have him crucified all on, on baseless and false accusations. And he went to the cross willingly, I must add, because you know what? Those guys did not have the power. Satan himself did not have the power over our Lord. Our Lord was God the Son. He is God the Son. But he let himself be taken and he let himself be crucified and, and, and died because it was vital for him to do so. Because if he had not done that, you and I will never have received forgiveness. You and I would have no hope. I'm not even sure you and I will be here today. But he took on that punishment that was due to us. And he died in our stead as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Before God the Father, who is all righteous and his judgments are perfect and sovereign. And because of the sinful nature of man, and that is all of us, we were all destined for judgment and as such hell. But Jesus came down because of the love the Father has for us. This is why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus himself came. He willingly, voluntarily gave himself in our stead. And he said that, you know, no greater love has this for a a man to lay down his life for his friends. 
So you see, this is, this is the reason why our Lord let himself be led to the slaughter as a lamb. He did not oppose his accusers or his persecutors or, or his killers. He didn't. He did that because it was vital. I can assure you it was not easy. It could not have been easy because he was in the form of a man. So he could feel pain and he had emotions like we have. And he could feel physical pain like we do. But yet he went through all that trauma, all the agony, all that pain. I can't even imagine it or describe it. My head is not big enough to imagine the extent of the pain that our Lord went through just to see you and I liberated. And that is the, why it is the most foolish thing, the most foolish thing for any mortal man to say they do not need Jesus, to say you do not believe in God. You don't believe in God. Can you explain your existence? Can you explain why you're this? You don't believe in God. You don't want a God who's going to, like a, a colleague of mine said, <clears throat> A colleague of mine once said to me, um, he was homosexual, and um, knowing I'm a Christian minister, said to me, so um, what's the biblical view? So what do you say God says about homosexuals then? I said, well, homosexuality is a sin because God created man and um, it was not his intention for us to be in such sexual perversion. I told him all those things. And he went, well, I cannot, I find it impossible to believe in a God who's going to tell me who to love. And I looked at him and I smiled. I said, you know what, friend? You don't even know what love is. You don't even know what love is. I mean, what he was calling love is what I call lust. You know, I cannot believe it. I find it impossible to believe in a God who's going to tell me who to love. What do we know about love? God, it is God Almighty who put love in our hearts. Mankind, we are not capable of loving unless, you know, apart from God, he has put the feelings and the emotions in us. So you see, it is a very foolish thing for us to adore the cre- creature and, and neglect or abuse the creator. So anyway, we all need Christ. And so if a person who says they do not need Christ is as good as dead, or a person who says they don't believe in God, I mean, you look at the beautiful world and the beautiful earth that God has created and you don't believe in him, can you explain the beginning of the very first flower if you do know, if you can identify the first flower? You know, or the sea world, or 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 the birds of the air. I mean, there's nothing we can't explain outside of God. Okay, so we put that aside. So our Lord let Himself uh, be crucified and killed, and at that time Satan thought he had the victory, but alas, Jesus, being God, He rose up again after three days, and so He is the resurrection and the life. In his resurrection, because Jesus resurrected now, we have hope. Because he resurrected now, those of us who are in him, those of us who have come to him, come to him and understood that we are sinners and we needed his redemptive work. Those of us who acknowledge that he came in the flesh, was God and he came in the flesh and he let himself be killed and he went through all that punishment and he shed his blood on the cross for us to atone for our sins. Those of us who now hide under the atonement that he did, we will spend eternity with him because even as Jesus lives, so we live also. We already have eternal life because you know what? When we do pass away from this world and everybody will, if our Lord does not come first, one of the two things is going to happen. Either the Lord returns for his own, or we actually die from the world. 
will be absent from the world, but present with the Lord. And I personally look forward to that. I cannot understand for the life of me Christians who are terrified of death. If you're a Christian and you're afraid of death, then surely your Christianity is a bit suspect. You need to re-examine it and consider where you come in. And this is where we have the issue of false, false doctrines, contradictory doctrines that I've been talking about. Because having lost the battle against Christ himself, the, against the person of Christ our Lord, Satan has now turned his attention to the church. And in so doing, <clears throat> he has put in the church, he has planted very many false teachers and false prophets. Not generally easily recognizable because they all call on the name of Christ. They all talk, well, not Christ, they say G, they call on the name of Jesus. They all purport to know Jesus and purport to have um, had a word from him and they get personal visitations from Jesus. They have uh, personal revelations from Jesus and all such things. For a start, I can categorically tell you that nobody is receiving any such personal revelations as are not in the written word. The word of God is final and he's not adding on to any mortal man today anything for the good of all or for the knowledge of others that is not already written down in the Bible. So be very careful. All those messages as people tend to give you anyway are to scare the living daylights out of you. They never carry any good tidings. They're always messages to put fear in people. They put fear in you and tell you they will deliver you and they will pray for you and they will you know, bring you through. Nobody can deliver you from a thing. Only the Lord delivers. And that he does through his word. I don't believe in the deliverance ministries that are being carried out in, in, <clears throat> nowadays. Some churches even call themselves deliverance ministry or deliverance church. I don't know what that is all about. We do not have the mandate to run around delivering one another as believers. The mandate we have is to preach the gospel. Christ is all and is in all. And if you do belong to Christ Jesus our Lord, what he said, he said, if you love me, you will obey my teachings. My word will abide in you. And my father and I will come and we will make our home with you. Now, if the sovereign Lord himself, God the Son, says to us that him and God the Father will come and make their home in us, I don't see where the room is for the demonic spirits that people are told they possess and as such they're being delivered. Then you must be that you are not a true Christian. If there is still room in you for demonic spirits who still control your life, then the word of God, you have not accepted the word of God and embraced it fully such that the Holy Spirit now inhabits you. Because this is what Jesus said. He said the orphans, uh, the Holy Spirit will come and live in you. John chapter 14, from verse 18 there, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So that means, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. He will come back, he came back to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Not through the sort of personal visitations people have where he's giving them dates that he's returning to the world and things like that. No, he will come. And then carrying on. He's, uh, from verse 21, it says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And then from verse 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So you see, if you've got God the Father and God the Son have made their home with you, 
Who then is the one who is in the world? Because the Bible makes it very clear that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The one in the world is Satan and his demonic spirit. How can they then have the authority over you? How can they then have the authority over you to change your destiny as people keep telling you somebody is affecting your destiny? There's some demonic spirit somewhere. There's some ancestral curse somewhere. There's some... There are no ancestral curses anywhere that can affect you unless you are not in Christ Jesus. Now, I do not dispute the fact that if your parents or your ancestors, well, your parents, shall we say, taking it that close by, have been maybe devil worshippers or unbelievers, and you remain an unbeliever yourself, then, of course, you are in the hands of the devil. Then he can do with you as he desires, as he wills. And believe me, he doesn't suffer fools gladly. He can put you through any kind of torture that he chooses because you're not in Christ. But the moment you come to Christ, it does not matter what your father or your mother did. When you come to Jesus, on your knees, head bowed down, in humbleness, and confess your sins, your shortcomings, that you know you're a sinner, you know you're not pleasing to the Lord, but you now plead with the Lord to deliver you because you believe that he is Lord, and not just Lord, Lord of your life. You believe he came to save you. You believe that his crucifixion on the cross, his death on the cross was for your sake and has atoned for your sins and so you thank him for that forgiveness and now you want to live in him and live by him and live with him. And that is when he said, my words will abide in you. You will obey my teaching. At that time, the Lord will then sanctify you unto himself. Consecrate you unto himself. Sanctify you with the Holy Spirit. And then he said, the Holy Spirit he will live in you. The Holy Spirit is God the Spirit. The three of them are not ex mutually exclusive. They are one and the same, the triune God. So now you've got the whole fullness of the authority of Almighty God in you. That is not to say that you run around commanding things and claim you are God, because that is such a, a part of the heretical teaching we face in these days, where people tell you you are little gods, you are not a God, you are a man. So you don't command things to come, and you don't command things to happen. Those commands do not work. You're deceiving yourself. Whatever you need from God, you ask in humility. Because you know what? We live on God's mercy and grace. We deserve nothing from him. And he owes us absolutely nothing. He owes us absolutely nothing. These are the contradictory doctrines I've been talking about. When you're told that you are little gods. We get these things from the word of faith teachers. You are little gods. I mean, I see it all the time. I've seen it. Come on. It's been now for, for centuries the sort of teachings from the likes of uh, Oral Roberts, Catherine Kuhlman, um, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, all those people, Ben Hinn, tell you you are, you are little gods. And so you exercise your faith by commanding things and you command that. You don't command a thing. You go before God in humility. Christ is the all in all. You are nothing but a ransomed soul. I am nothing but a ransomed sinner. So you know what? That I'm now a saint. The Lord calls me a saint. And he calls you a saint because you're in Christ. Does not put you on a par with the Lord. You do not command anything into creation. You, we, do, we do not have that authority. So anyway. So once you are. When you now belong to the Lord. The Bible says to you. You are the temple of, the, of God. In, in whom God lives. By the power of his Holy Spirit. Where then is the room. For all the curses of your great-grandfathers that are disturbing you. Who then can change your destiny? The problem with Christians is a lot of people are so gullible. You want, you, everybody wants somebody else to blame for their misfortunes and for things not working well. Listen, Jesus said to us, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 
He did not tell us the work of Christianity will be easy. No. He didn't tell us that we're going to flourish in fantastic and wonderful, perfect health always and have an abundance in finances because we are Christians and we're children of the kingdom. He did, he did not say so. As a matter of fact, what he said is that we should take our eyes of the world and put all our efforts and our hearts and all our love in, on the kingdom of God. That is pleasing God. Living as a child of God, that's what the kingdom of God is. It's not that kind of physical place we're going to be traveling to one day. No, the kingdom of God is us. Jesus said he's here, he's with you, and he's in you. When you live your life for Christ, in obedience to Christ, when you live your life centered around Christ, understanding that now you are nothing, when you relegate yourself to the background, as opposed to the teachings we have today that project you, it's all about you. We've got too many self-help books from professing Christian teachers and ministers Everybody's writing books as to how you, you can achieve this, how you can attain that, how you, you, you. It's all about you. It is not about you. I keep saying it. The message of the gospel is not about you. It's not about me. It is about Christ as Lord. It is about our eternity. It's not about you. That eternity being in Christ and awarded to us by Christ. Now, everybody's going to go into eternity. Some to live with the Lord under the father, fatherhood and of God the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then some, of, some people are going to live forever in hell, in the fires of hell. There's no doubt about it. There's no middle ground. So that you choose to be atheist or agnostic or whatever, it's not going to help. You choose any other religion, I don't know. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. I can say that no other religion is going to get into heaven. You know why? Because Christianity itself is not a religion. It is the way of life, ordained by Almighty God himself, the maker of the heavens and of the earth, your creator, my creator, in whom we have life and breath and everything else, who sustains and upholds all things, the God who gives us the seasons that we enjoy and bask in, we're enjoying the sunshine. We're reveling in it. I'm having a barbecue party today for my, for, for my son who's 21. What? I'm basking in the work of God. It's, the sunshine is wonderful and all those things. And then farmers, they delight when the rains come because they need the rains for their harvest. It is all the work of God. Some people get all excited when it snows. Well, I do at the beginning while it's still, till, while it's still white and nice. But when it starts melting and becomes black ice, it's, it's a bit traumatic then because you get falls. And I don't enjoy falling. Anyway, we have all those things that we enjoy. The God who put all the seasons in place that you and I cannot tamper with a thing, cannot change a thing. He is the God who has told us the way to walk. And you want to walk any other way, you'll have yourself to blame eternally. Because you know what? God has been gracious. Christ has been merciful. He's already paid the price for your sins. And all you need to do is humble yourself and acknowledge and understand that you are nothing but the works of the hand of the almighty God. You are nothing but a sinner and you come to the Lord in repentance for forgiveness and deliverance. That is when you do become something and what you do become then is a a son of God. And for that, you were so grateful, you begin to live in obedience you begin to live in obedience. And there's nothing, nothing can be more joyful 
And you don't continue in your sinfulness. You do not continue in sinfulness and expect grace to increase. And say, well, I'm only a human being. God understands I'm only a fallible man. Oh, yeah? Why then does the Bible say to us that in uh, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John 3, the epistle, uh, from verse 9 there, it says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So you see, you become, sin becomes abhorrent to you because now you've got the mind of Christ. You love what the Lord loves and you hate what the, love, what, what the Lord hates. Yes, temptations will always be there. We will always have temptations as long as we live in this mortal curl. We cannot help, help that. But your ability to trust in the strength and the power and the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit of God who is now in you is what will make you succeed and rise above temptation. Yes, you may sleep up occasionally, but it will be a sleep up, not a deliberate thing. And you will not then claim, oh, well, I'm only a human being. God knows I'm fallible. No. When you do sleep up and you sin, you will be remorseful. You will be saddened by it. You'll be beat and bittered by it. You'll even weep before the Lord. Because it is out of character now for you to be sinful. So, Satan's purpose now is, is, is fight us against the church. So he comes up with all these things and all these ridiculous teachings that we have around us. Listen, Jude gave us a warning. And I, saw, I, I read this last week in Jude. Um, I'll take it. And it's a warning for all of us. It's for the church of Christ through the ages. From verse 1 there, Jude says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Does that describe you? If you are a child of God and you're a Christian, then he's talking to me, then he's talking to you. Now, he says, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slept in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Jude, having sat down to write about the salvation we share, to write encouraging messages about our salvation, glad words I'm sure, he decided there's a more pressing issue. And it's not more pressing then. Do you know what? It's even more pressing now. Jude said there's a more pressing issue, one of urgency. He said, I was very eager to write you. I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And that is what I do. As a servant of the Most High God, I am called to contend for the faith. And as such, I cannot sit down and shut up about it when I see false teachers and false teachings going on. Because it is not just, like I said once before, it's not just robbing the people of their material wealth, which is very rampant. It is the robbing of the souls that bothers me more. Jesus paid too high a price for all the people who are on the path of destruction to be headed that way. Our Lord paid too high a price. Satan has thrown all kinds of false teachings. He's littered the Christian church with his own servants. 
Some who just set out anyway, having no knowledge of Christ, but Satan just set them up anyway to go in there and carry on some purported work in the name of Christ our Lord. And then we have the apostates who for gain, for money, have turned the way into the way of error. The Bible talks about them. Jude talks about them. When we carry on reading in Jude, he talked about them. So though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these years kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. This is saying that these false teachers and false prophets will not, they will not escape God's wrath and judgment. They know. The Bible says the condemnation was written long ago. Peter said that. The condemnation was written long ago. Blackest darkness has been reserved for them. Even Jude says this. Read all of Jude. It's quite a short book, but it's an amazing book to read. Peter issued the same warnings. Paul said the same thing in Thessalonians, saying these guys are going to come. The coming of the lawless one will be in the form of, of all kinds of mirac- um, uh, false miracles and signs and wonders. Personally, if you're a person of faith, if you have true faith in Christ Jesus, I believe he's done more than enough for us already in our redemption. That it is foolishness for us to be running around chasing after miracles and signs and wonders. What do you need it for? Miracles, signs and wonders were in the Bible where to authenticate God's servants at the time that the word of God was coming together. At the time that God was introducing to the world the way he wants us to walk. Miracles, signs and wonders happened. The kind of miracles that Jesus performed, no man ever performed, not even the apostles. When we talk about the miracles, not even the apostles did them. They didn't repeat all those miracles of nature that Jesus performed. Jesus gave them authority to heal the sick and the authority to cast out demons. And that was as far as the apostles went. None of them walked on water or, or provided a miraculous feast for many people out of little or nothing. So you see, the apostles continued in faith. And yes, God gave them the power to authenticate their ministry. But we do not have that power today. I'm not saying God isn't able to do whatever he chooses. He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. He can do anything he wants at any time. He is the omnipotent God. But now we are expected to walk by faith. And this is why in, in the majority of the epistles in the New Testament, it is our faith that is being encouraged and our conduct. It is our faith and our conduct that has been encouraged. When we have about signs and miracles that are performed, we're in the acts at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then because of the chaos in the church in Corinth, Paul had to address some of these issues, in particular the issue of tongues and prophecy. But the predictions that many are offering today, where they label themselves as prophets, are offering personal predictions to people. I don't see, I do not see the precedent of that in the Bible, and we are not called to be doing that. They call it prophecy. It's really predictions and all it is, really. And divination, that's what it is. And God says these things are abhorrent to him. And that's what happens. Just because a person sits down there and tells you about things, starts fortune telling, does that make him a true, a true prophet? No, it doesn't. 
Satan does that all the time. In the Acts of the Apostles, there was a girl who was very fortune-telling girl. She gave accurate predictions and she made lots of money for her owners, following Paul around, Paul and I think Silas it was. And she, you know, she used to make accurate predictions. People really thought she was some great person. And she used to follow Paul and Silas around, saying these men are the servants of the Most High God who he has sent to deliver you listen to them. But the Apostle Paul was not thrilled by her cheap publicity. And he cast out the demonic spirit in her so that she was no longer able to do all, to, to, to make her predictions anymore, her divinations. So you see, that is not enough. But what are you running around looking for personal fortune telling for anyway? I don't care whether it's through a crystal ball person, but especially through the Christian church in the name of your prophet or, or, or your minister. And they're telling you all these things. And everything they always tell you, something to do in misfortune, make you feel sorry for yourself, throw you into some kind of pity party, and then, you know, they purport to deliver you. Eventually, it's always at the cost of some kind of seed, some kind of financial seed you have to sow in the long run. Are you not supposed to walk by faith when you're in Christ? I don't receive personal prophecies from anyone, even before. I, I don't accept them. I don't receive them. I, I don't even acknowledge them. Such things. I know the Bible says do not, defy, do not despise prophecy, but we're not talking about divination and predictions. Prophecy is these days and has been from the time, for, even from the Old Testament, the fourth, te- the fourth telling of the word of God. Yes, God did use some prophets in the Bible to foretell also. But they were not running around private individuals telling them, oh, you know what? It's your mother-in-law is against your case and you're, oh, you should have been pregnant, but something is opposing you and uh, some spirit is, some water spirit or some foolish other ridiculous thing like that is disturbing you from making progress in your business. God hasn't got time for that. You're so concerned about the things, the affairs of the world we run around in the name of greed anyway. We, God said, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased. If you know that you are truly a child of God, if you know that you are truly a Christian, why do you want to worry about tomorrow? Jesus Christ, our Lord himself said, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will sort itself out. Sufficient enough is the troubles of today. Those are the words of our Lord. So why would you let another human being tell you the opposite of that? Why? Why would you let anybody else tell you any, anything differently? Who is it that's got the authority of Christ or higher authority than Christ? That was Matthew six thirty four. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow is in the hands of Christ. And I love him enough and trust him enough to, to know that he will do the right thing for me tomorrow. However painful that right thing may be, it's all a process. You have to go through suffering. You simply have to. Otherwise, your faith will never be tested. And then we'll never know if you're genuine. But the Lord knows those who are his. I'm going to continue on the issue of contradictory doctrine again uh, next day. Because this is the best way. And in fact, the most important way you can identify false teachers and false prophets. The church is plagued with them. The world is plagued with them. They are vast in number and they are working amazingly successfully well. <clears throat> so you've got to be very careful. I'll leave it there for now. We'll continue this uh, topic again next week by the grace of God. Until the next time, I'm Sarah Jala Emanuel and may the Lord be with you. <laughs>